Welcome to the Kickstart Podcast, where we highlight the stories of how professionals kickstarted and navigated their successful careers. My name is Preston, and on this episode, we have the pleasure of hosting someone who has an impressive career working at some of the most well-known tech companies in the world before deciding to start her own very successful HR consulting business. Marie, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Preston. Good to see you. How are you doing? So good to see you too. Doing really well. Very hot, very humid here in DC. What about yourself? Same here. Crazy warm. Can't wait for summer to be over. Yes, knock on wood. Fingers crossed. But Marie, thank you so much for being on the show. For those that might be unfamiliar with who you are and your background, would you just mind sharing maybe a quick overview of your career so far or just high level? Sure. So I'm Marie. I'm originally from Germany. I'm also half French because my mother is French. I'm currently an HR consultant. I'm self-employed and I've been doing this type of job for the past three years. Before that, I was employed in HR positions at different uh, tech companies in Berlin, as well as Dublin, which is in Ireland, so still Europe, but a different different country. I started my career working at Google in HR and people operations, then moved over to SoundCloud um, back in Berlin, and then worked as a VP people at Billy, which is a local fintech startup company here. Nice. So much to go over there. So if I remember correctly, I think you went to university and your degree was in psychology. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. So I grew up in Berlin, but then did my studies in London uh, for five years total. And I started with a bachelor's in psychology at University College London. Nice. Now... Your first job, I believe you said it was Google. It was in the people HR capacity. So a lot of people can see the connection between maybe psychology and then working in HR and people. Is that something yeah. you always want to do? Like, how did you get into Google? What was the interview process like? And why did you choose a position in, within the people capacity? Yeah, really good question. So obviously, it's kind of obvious to think you do psychology to then, you know, do HR at some point later, especially because I did a master's in management after. So the combination of it kind of seems obvious. It wasn't really what I planned out to do. When I started psychology, I was really just interested in the subject matter. And then as my career or life progressed, eventually, I guess I just always had an interest in HR. I didn't know 100% what it was about. And when I was looking for my first job after uni, I was looking through different job descriptions and I had a friend that was already working at Google reach out, rave about how great working there was. So I had a look at their open positions and found a people operations role that kind of just grabbed my interest. It was a good combination of, you know, people topics, but also a structured kind of processed focused approach. So uh, I decided to apply and actually uh, he referred me. So that usually makes it a little bit easier for any, So for anyone out there uh, looking for new roles, try to find people you know who might be working there. Most companies have referral bonuses. So that's an easy way to maybe get a little bit higher on that application pile. Application process was actually pretty straightforward. I can't remember exactly how many steps there were, but it usually starts with a screening call with a recruiter. Then you get to meet uh, maybe your direct manager or the person that would be your direct manager in the future. You get to meet the rest of the team, maybe do a couple of case studies. Um, I got to also meet them on site, which was great to get an impression of Dublin, really, first of all, because I've never been and the rest of the team on the premises. And that was it. Uh, I moved over January 2013. So quite a while ago at this point. Wow. I'm really, really glad that you brought up the whole referral. I think that is the easiest way to get jobs today. Like, So if you it know is. people who are working at companies that you would like to work, definitely hit them up. Even if you think it, they don't remember you or it's from five companies ago, please, please, if you're listening to this and you're on the job market, I think what Marie shared is completely priceless. Rather than just cold applying or going through, even recruiter like myself, the easiest way is for to have someone personally vouch for you. It's the easiest way to get fast-tracked. So it's really cool that you did that at a company like Google. Now, how long was the interview process? Because I know a bunch of people who came and went to Google. I've heard a lot of stories where the interview process were super fast, but majority of them were like, it's actually quite long. So do you remember mm -hmm. how long it was? Yes. So definitely not days, I would say probably in between like a couple of weeks to maybe a month total. And then I remember after that, they wanted to move really fast. So initially they wanted me to move over before the end of the year, which would have kind of like clashed with Christmas and everything. Mm. I managed to convince them to let me start in January only, which was kind of a hard compromise for them to make, but it just worked out better with schedules and everything. But overall, I think it was a pretty tight recruiting experience. Obviously, you also want to take a little bit of time for yourself to you know consider whether it's actually the right fit for you, you know, um, Make sure you have all your open questions answered, but overall wasn't a drag at all. 
Wow. Do you remember like how many different stages there were on average? I would say probably, let me see. So it's definitely a, um, a recruiting screening call with a recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely first call with my future manager and then chats with, I would say, two to four different people in the team. Now, some of them might have happened all on the same day, probably more back to back. So maybe there would have been like three to five stages including your know, background checks you know you're sending all your university documentation all that stuff over mm-hmm. um, but overall it was pretty smooth i mean i wouldn't expect anything that's from a, from a huge recruiting machine like google but um i definitely felt well taken care of well wow, it sounds like you had probably one of the best and fastest processes people that i personally know that's really impressive so you're from berlin you went to university in london and then you applied mm-hmm. to a job in dublin did you ever apply or did you look for jobs in germany or uk as well or was like somehow dublin on your plan to for the country not that you wanted really to no so i was um like most people you know graduating in london um and not that visa was an issue or anything right because it was a european you or at least back in the day you could stay as long as you want but I was looking for different types of roles and um, also in different countries, but not particularly with Ireland. Also, uh, you know, Ireland is kind of where most people in the big tech companies, when they started their careers, start. You have a lot of grad- mm-hmm. graduate positions. Uh, so that's kind of where a lot of the recent graduates um, that work for Google land, a lot of them actually sit there. So funnily enough, actually, once I started there, I bumped into so many people from my exchange uh, semester abroad and all that stuff. So it's a bit of a gathering pool for recent graduates. Oh, wow. So coming into a big company, you already, I guess, in a positive surprise kind of way, you're like, wow, I actually know people here. Um, Definitely. So it yeah. kind of gets to the awkwardness of joining a new company very, very quickly. Um, that's really cool. I had no idea that a lot of the graduate programs in UK and Europe actually start in Dublin. So yeah. you start there at People Ops. And then, so what was kind of like your day-to-day like? Like, what was your scope there? So also to clarify, at Google, at least back in the day, people operations was the term they gave for the whole HR department. Whereas nowadays, actually, people operations is more commonly used for a certain department within HR. So that's actually also where I was sitting. So I was kind of like people operations within the people operations department at Google. Well, our scope really was international within Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So in total, back in the day, it was 36 countries that we would look after in terms of supporting local employees, local HR business partners, with their requests. So this might be basic, you know, policy questions that need answering, documentation that needs to be produced, running payroll for all these countries. So anything you would encounter, um, you know, from onboarding to offboarding, it has to do with a standard process, a policy, mm-hmm. anything that touches the HR tool, which back in the day, they actually still built themselves. So that was quite an interesting uh, thing to encounter. And you do that for an international scope of 36 different countries. Some of them are, you know, um, Kenya or uh, Morocco or uh, the United Arab uh, Emirates, where you kind of, you know, uh, get to see a lot of different ways of how HR works and you get to see the differences and the similarities and get to learn a lot about how the world works in that way. So for someone who, I guess this is like your first proper job in tech, especially in big tech, how was like, the training? Did you feel like there was a ramp up period where you felt overwhelmed in the beginning and you had to kind of play catch up and work really, really hard, maybe study even after hours mm-hmm. to uh, catch up with your peers? Or do you think they just did a great job and being crystal clear with your scope, the expectations, what metrics they'd be kind of, for example, like analyzing performance on and then it was a relatively smooth start yeah i would say so actually so from the beginning it was a um, structured onboarding process it was clear you know meet with these types of stakeholders it might be some of the um, projects you might be working on and you kind of got projects also pretty early on when you started so probably not from the first day but uh, pretty soon afterwards there were you know responsibilities that were solely yours and no one else's and that kind of gave a great sense of ownership and the good thing about people operations is that a lot of it actually is quite metrics driven so even when you just you know replying to tickets which is the request that you get in from employees and uh, local HR staff. Um, there's turnaround times that you have to keep. So it's pretty well structured, but also the type of job kind of lent itself to you know having metrics that you can measure yourself on. Oh, that's really, really good to know uh, that a company like Google, I mean, you would yeah. you would assume that the training is really good, but I'm happy to hear that, I guess, within your specific department on your team, uh, you were able to kind of assimilate and transition pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Now, how long were you at Google for? I was there for two years before I then moved to Germany. Two Back years. Back to Germany, I should say. And so that was, was that the plan or did you uh, no. kind of think, no, so, but did you ever think that like, oh, wow, I got a job at Google. This could be my career mm-hmm. Just stay long-term in Google, which a lot oh, of people definitely. do. Yeah. And so, most people do. And then 
Here's an interesting thing with, with Dublin, what I was mentioning before, where you kind of see where the location like Dublin, maybe again, it's different now, but at least when I was there, this was the case. Since this is kind of like the starting ground for everyone or a lot of people who are just done with their studies, but not necessarily the country of choice because Ireland is lovely and you'll meet the nicest people you've ever met. But the weather, for example, actually for many people is a tricky thing to handle with. So I always say I went from bad weather in London, the UK, to even worse weather in Ireland. So you can count the, the sunny days on, on one hand. Uh, even though I get my worst sunburn ever in Ireland as well, you wouldn't believe. But no, so uh, what a lot of people do actually is they try to kind of, you know, transfer within Google. I actually uh, got the opportunity to transfer over to the Sydney office, which unfortunately I wasn't able to to do at the end of the day. There was a bit of a clash and it was just like the cost of moving over and, you know, the salary they were able to give me because I was still quite junior and just living on the whole other side of the, the globe. Um, so yes, in, looking internally is definitely a great opportunity. Also for anyone out there uh, listening, um, even if you're not working at Google or in a super large company, uh, one of the easiest ways to improve your career actually is to do parallel moves, look for other positions within the same company, whether it's the same department, different team, or a whole different uh, department. There's a lot of opportunities there you can leverage. And internally, recruiters would usually you know, never refrain from accepting an internal application because that's, that's some of the easiest hires you can make. I was definitely looking for internal opportunities elsewhere in other locations as well. Nothing really came up too much because, you know, Dublin being the hub and most of the HR mm. operations sitting there kind of limits it a little bit to that. So then I opened up um, the scope a little bit, looked back into maybe uh, moving back to London. And ultimately I landed on Berlin, which is ironic and never thought I would ever move back to my hometown of Berlin. Because let me tell you back when I was growing up here, it wasn't quite the startup hub that it is now. Um, and it wasn't quite as international. Um, so me being half French, I always felt, felt exotic in a way, which is laughable at this point, looking at you know how the population has developed. Mm-hmm. But being abroad for so many years, I'd always heard people tell me about stuff that was going on in my hometown at this point that I'd never seen or heard of, really. So I looked into it, uh, discovered, hey, there's actually a few, a few cool companies um, in Germany applied, and then that worked out. So I was uh, on my way back to my home city. So the weather was bad enough that you'd rather leave Dublin, <laughs> you'd rather leave Google, go back to Germany, take a gamble on a smaller company. It Was was it really that? I'm sure there are other factors that played into your decision sure. making, but was it really that two years is enough? I cannot stay a, a week, a day longer uh, in this city, in this country. I need to get out. Was it kind of like I mean, that for you? A little bit. I mean, I'm not trying to be too <laughs> dramatic or, you know, exaggerate, but to be honest, there's quite a few people who actually felt that way. Because let me tell you, even, you know, there's this thing of like, you can get all four seasons in a day. And it is true. Also, it's not necessarily a cheap city. Uh, I remember yeah. I was paying kind of similar costs to when I was living in London. And no offense, Dublin, but in no way does Dublin compare to what London has to offer. And to be honest, after living in cold, rainy, kind of like 15 to max 25 degrees Celsius temperature uh, for seven to eight years, I had barely any shorts, dresses, skirts, or short sleeve clothes left when I moved back to Berlin. And kind of, you know, similar to you, like, you know, when you grow up in a city like Berlin or New York, like you did, where you have seasons, that's just something you miss and that's in your DNA. So I'm happy to have that back. Well, Marie, I'm just sitting here chuckling. And let me remind you, you might have forgotten, but I actually went to uni <laughs> in Edinburgh, Scotland, which I believe is a little oh, bit God, more yeah. north than Dublin. <laughs> And I just what remember, was that like? What was that like? If you like the sun, you will be absolutely miserable. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is, you know, like wherever you live, you adapt very quickly, right? I remember flying from New York to Edinburgh, Scotland in September, from <laughs> September all the way till summer. It was windy, yeah. rain, and dark almost yes, every yes, yes. single day. And then when the sun comes out, then I fly back home. I miss like the most beautiful times of the year. But- <laughs> That's why Tigran is now that I live back in Berlin. Everyone goes on vacation now. I'm like, I'm staying in Berlin in the summer as much as I can. I'm leaving when the weather is crap. So yeah, I totally get you. That's so funny. I would have stayed longer in Edinburgh. Maybe I got a job out there. Maybe I would have found myself in a similar cross paths to you. Be like, I yeah. need some sun. I need some warmth. So you did something funny as like your first proper tech job, as many people in technology would dream of ending up one day at at Fangs or the Googles of the world. So looking back retrospectively, I have a couple questions. Number one, 
how helpful do you think it was to have a degree in psychology? And did that help you succeed or find success at Google in a people-oriented position and later on your career or not really? To be honest, I don't feel like I apply much of my psychology knowledge to my day-to-day work now or did back in the day, but it probably is the soft and scars, hard skills that you kind of learn that are just implicitly part of your mm. DNA or brain and then that kind of manifests. But no, I didn't. So also like you have to say in HR, there's different types of HR where you probably use psychology most is probably like in an HR business partnering position um, or developing learning and development uh, programs, that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. But definitely one way or another, it will have helped me. And I think definitely also for application purposes, since it's related to the field, I would say probably helped. I wouldn't be able to say for sure, but it definitely didn't hurt. I don't think. Yeah, it could be an extra like tool in your arsenal to to give yourself yeah. a better perspective or education or just understanding. Gotcha. And now um, also retrospectively, looking at your time at Google, if you could have done things differently, and we, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about those uh, a little bit later, because I, I understand after Google, you joined a couple smaller companies. If you went back in time, did you think that you made the right choice or would you rather, you know, worked at a company like SoundCloud or Billy before you ended up at Google? Yeah, it's interesting because what I did and I realized that once I started my own business, it's kind of worked well for me because I started at a big company, super international, a huge amount of employees, and then I kept going smaller and smaller. So back when I was in Dublin, I think the local employee count was 3,000, globally it was 20,000, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it was already, maybe that's just a meal, maybe it was already 40. Um, it's definitely higher now. SoundCloud back when I joined was 250 employees. When I left, it was 500. Mm-hmm. Billy, which is a fintech that I joined after that, was 26 employees when I joined and was 80 when I left. Um, but what this kind of cascading down helped me do was with each position where I also gained more responsibility, I was able to bring a lot of expertise of what things look like for a company that's maybe more developed in their growth stages um, quite a bit. So that's also a huge selling point. So for mm-hmm. example, if you go to Sanka and say, hey, I know how to run HR for 36 comp- um, countries across EMEA, with these and these all, um, different uh, processes, the sell is much higher than the other way around. So if anyone's looking for advice, I would say definitely, if you can, if it's in your interest, obviously you have to like the job that you're doing at the end of the day and want to work for the company that you're working, try to go big. Also, the names kind of help sell the next job that you're doing. And even nowadays, my consulting role, I would say um, the portfolio definitely doesn't hurt. For sure. It's interesting because like a lot of people that we talk to from a recruiting capacity kind of do the opposite. They start like small startups and then they slowly kind of work at maybe medium-sized ones, larger ones, and maybe end up at the fangs or the big techs of the world. Um, But I can totally understand uh, how doing it your way or the inverse helped you because the way mm-hmm. I see it is like bigger companies, they've been around longer. They obviously have, I would like to think, you know, proper business models, bringing in revenues, but most importantly, they have a lot more thought and time into creating systems and processes. So like a lot of things like training, you typically find more robust training at bigger companies, um, yeah. even like understanding with scope and the systems and tools that you use, right? It's time and tested throughout the years. And so a lot of smaller companies, it's a lot more chaotic, Unless like you like that, working in a very um, unclear kind of environment every single day without systems and processes, that could be for you. But I understand that like, you know, you're able to successfully leverage what you've learned from a big company and then how you find a position in a smaller one, a smaller one, and now, you know, creating essentially giving you like an amazing foundation to like leverage when you decide to pivot to work for yourself. Yeah. Essentially. And you know what? The interesting thing is to this day, I remember things that I learned back in my day uh, at Google, you know, and also in your first job, you're kind of ignorant to how important everything is that you learn because you kind of think, oh, you know, everything could be better. There's always things that, you know, you think could be improved upon, but Mm -hmm. ultimately it was a great training and the same for SoundCloud actually. Um, and there may be the distinction or the addition, I would say, is that don't only look for, you know, like large companies, but for example, had a great reputation for the type of HR they were doing. I mean, obviously, some of their employees were former Google employees, so that definitely plays into mm. that. But um, a definite motivation for joining them was that they were known for how they were doing HR. They were known for that in the industry. So whatever your field is, if you're interested in really growing and learning the most, which ultimately is what will pay off long term in your career try to go for companies that are known for a certain expertise even if the company is not necessarily the, the biggest or largest out there you know if they're well known for something it's worth learning about it 
Yeah, I can totally agree. Like I talk to product professionals that make a decision to join another company because product is prioritized at that company, right? Same thing with mm -hmm. engineering, same thing with recruiting. A lot of companies don't prioritize yeah. recruiting and it's more of an afterthought, but companies that prioritize recruiting and HR early on, that attracts a lot of talent acquisition professionals. And so um, you're very cool. You had similarities with Google, you had similarities with like, wow, this company actually advocates for HR and people um, and it resonates with me. So you're making the bold decision to leave Google for a smaller company. Were you in process with like other companies as well? Did you have other offers on the table? Um, it sounded like, you know, the fact that maybe you had a commonality with the founders at SoundCloud, whether it's like the Google background or how they really prioritize people in HR really played into the decision and you accepting. Uh, but was it maybe, was there like a close plan B for you? I don't think there was at that point, to be honest. Mm. What I did actually, my approach was, since I didn't know too much about the Berlin startup team, right? And also the thing you, you mustn't forget about, when you're working in a big machine like Google, and it's similar to, with other larger companies, you often don't see a lot of what's going on in the rest of the industry, unless maybe you have an outward facing role like a recruiter. Um, so I kind of had to understand the Berlin market first, you know, kind of was looking up what are the top startups or scale-ups that the, the city has to offer and was rejected by quite a few of them. So even some of them mm. that I've had as clients, <laughs> which is interesting. And back then I didn't quite understand because, you know, like coming from Google, you would think, oh, yes, uh, there might be something I have to offer that would be interesting for them. Um, and then ultimately with Google, um, I initially applied for a role that was uh, probably way too senior for me. And luckily enough, the head of HR got back to me saying, hey, uh, your profile actually looks really good for a role that we're opening up in a couple of weeks. Would you be interested in that? So once it popped up, I applied. And so I kind of had, you know, that kind of uh, initial foot in the door through that interaction. I think afterwards, you know, things kind of just uh, fell into place. But no, I didn't really have too many other offers in the back pocket. It was mostly, do I stay at Google? Do I take this offer? And that's what the negotiation was based on as well. Interesting. Uh, did you go through a situation, uh, what we like to call it like golden handcuffs, where uh, Google, big fangs, big techs are known to just pay very, very well. So did you have to yeah. find yourself a situation like if I were to leave Google, I might have to take a step back, be a little bit flexible, concede a little bit to join a smaller company? Yeah. Or were you kind of, did you find the best of both worlds? You found a smaller company that paid competitive and, you know, but it allowed you to change your environment. So I would say on base salary, actually, I took a little bit of a cut that mm -hmm. uh, someone actually was aware of as well. So I kind of helped like negotiate a little bit upwards. <laughs> but the main difference obviously is the total comp, right? So that's also what uh, Google prides itself on. So also there I would say Google, I'm not sure if they actually pay, you know, top dollar for every role or whether there's also the total comp that they're looking at and then kind of, you know, establish them as one of the most competitive companies in the market. But definitely, you know, for obviously for many roles, uh, they are some of the top payers. So just to explain total comp would be not just the base salary that you get every month or every two months, uh, twice a month if you're in the US, right? Because you get paid twice a month in the US, I, I think. Um, but also any bonuses you might get, uh, shares, benefits, perks. And that obviously is a big argument for staying at Google and why many people stay, right? So the total comp is uh, probably unparalleled in comparison to what other companies are offering. Uh, at least back in the day was, you know, nowadays most offers are probably similar and someone like Facebook might outperform them uh, on, on base salary still um for me personally though i have to say um it wasn't really what made me enjoy work at google in the first place obviously you appreciate all the perks having food all day swimming pool local nutritionist um eye doctor i had my teeth done and a local dentist all that kind of stuff right um which is great ultimately though it wasn't really what kept me there and i don't i, I think for some people that's great but for me, it's just not my personality, I don't think. Um, and I noticed that a particular once I left that I didn't actually miss it all too much. So that's maybe something I would tell people as well. If you ever be like, oh, you know, the safety net, really ask yourself how many of those benefits you're actually using, how many actually fit your current need and try to imagine what life would be like without them. For me personally, it didn't make too much of a difference. Obviously, I can imagine for some other people it would. That's a great point. I think if money is not a number one motivator, then it, that would certainly make things easier if you were to leave big tech. But if money is like a top one, top two, best thing is to stay at Google or, or at least apply to maybe Apple and Netflix, Facebook, just go back and forth. Um, and that, you know, sure. a lot of people are in that situation, uh, especially with, for example, like Meta, for instance, where they may or may not yeah. agree with like what the business is doing, but they're getting paid so well, like I can't go anywhere else. 
right? Sure. Um, but you know, other things are clearly a lot more important to you. And I love how you said it's one thing on saying we offer a thousand different benefits, but how much of those a thousand benefits are you actually going to use? Right. Yeah. So you left. You joined SoundCloud and you found yourself in another people ops HR capacity. Um, mm -hmm. How was that different in terms of your scope or focus than people ops in Google? Like, what did you do there? Sure. So interestingly enough, and this was a great learning and great next step for me, actually, um, after Google, because the company is was smaller. So it was 250 employees when I joined, mm -hmm. 500 when I left, as I said. And the team itself was, I think, two, three, maybe four people with coordinators, um, a little more in supporting functions. But when I left, it was maybe five. So not massively large. So that also meant that a lot of the tasks at, at Google, I would have never been able to work on such mm -hmm. as performance reviews, such as getting to dabble into total compensation, uh, helping support um, salary reviews, promotion cycles, getting involved in some of the diversity initiatives, even though it was technically in a purely people operations role, that was also part of my role. Um, and actually, I was already uh, at Google uh, being able to you know, do a project on compensation here and there. So that's also something I would tell uh, people when you realize how many learning opportunities you have, maybe also at smaller companies, take full advantage of them, volunteer to you know lead or support a particular project, even if it's not necessarily within the scope of your field. It benefits me in my job now because I was able to look into so many different topics and widen the scope. Um, for example, in a role like I was uh, doing at uh, SoundCloud, that it still benefits me today because mm. I can kind of position myself more as a generalist rather than a specialist and it really helps my business. Were there aspects that you uh, had exposure to for the first time at SoundCloud where you're like, wow, this is a part of people ops or this is part of HR. Uh, maybe you found your new passion. Was your experience at Google, was that kind of a monumental experience for you where it's cemented like, yes, this is what I want to do with, with my career or was it after made you taste a little bit more of like, working mm -hmm. at smaller companies like Billy and SoundCloud, we had exposure, we had multiple hats and like, wow, this is the field overall underneath the people ops or people umbrella, HR umbrella that I'm really, really passionate about. It's interesting because like maybe many people in, in the earlier stages of their careers, I was never quite sure HR actually was my thing. I remember starting it and obviously a lot of the things that you do when you um, start out are a lot of like admin things, manual work, you know, all that kind of stuff where we, when you come from a two year Masters in international management, where all you did was research and theory of even topics like accounting. I'm sure you remember. <laughs> then you get to like you know really hands-on roles. So for a long time, I kind of felt maybe not challenged enough, etc. So obviously, as the scope expands, as you get to dabble into many different fields and topics um, beyond what the initial scope was, the more interesting it gets, mm. and uh, you, you stay interested. And it was really mostly uh, once I started being self-employed that I really got to enjoy what it means to work in HR. Um, mm -hmm. Mostly, I guess, because this type of working uh, suits me better. But yes, I would definitely say also, you know, with becoming a VP people at Billy, where, where then I overlooked uh, all different parts of HR is always a challenge and definitely, you know, um, a challenge to like stretch yourself and see what you're capable of, but ultimately what keeps things interesting. So why did you leave SoundCloud? There was a redundancy round. <laughs> so, really? So in two, yes, oh I'm not sure if you know about this. So back here, you'll ask anyone in the Berliner startup industry, it was the news. It was a scandal back when it happened. And they um, let go of 42% of their um, employees, which was 278 employees at the end of the day, including me, which to be honest, at the end of the day, well, for me, wasn't too bad. I've been there for two and a half years in total. I had obviously, you know, started thinking about, oh, maybe what's my next step? So it kind of helped things along. And uh, that's how that one ended. <laughs> wow. I mean, you truly had the the quintessential startup experience. You joined the safety <laughs> of working at Google and Big Tech to work at a small company. Of course, you enjoy the benefits of working at a small company, wearing multiple hats and having our impact, doing things you normally wouldn't have a chance to work in a company at Google. But then you also experienced the downside, the riskiness uh, of, of working at a smaller company. But it's obviously you were able to get back on your feet very quickly. Yeah. How did you find Billy? Was it a cold apply? Was it another referral? Did you work with a recruiter? No. So this one was interesting because I got headhunted. And oh. I was not quite sure what I was going to do after SoundCloud. So I also dabbled into, you know, do I want to take on maybe more operational roles? Do I want to stay in HR? I wasn't quite sure. Um, so I had to reach out to me with regards to VP people role at um, Billy. I asked around my network of, uh, you know, who had heard of uh, that company before, heard good feedback. 
um, decided to, um, you know, join the application process. And before I knew it, um, I got the job, which was great. So that was quite a step up, I would say, from the role I had um, at uh, SoundCloud before. So an opportunity not to miss and yeah, great learning opportunity as well. How was your experience working with the headhunter? And and how well did he or she mm-hmm. do in like guiding you through the whole process? Pretty good, actually. And that's also another tip I would uh, give anyone who's looking uh, to change jobs. Try to get in tutors, headhunters, because obviously they're kind of more on your side, not necessarily more on the side than the company's side that they're hiring for, but they're obviously trying to find the person that will fill the particular role that they got hired or tasked to fill. Um, so the interaction was actually very professional. I always felt like um, I was up to date with every stage of the, the process because they were the ones taking care of it. The process was also moving along quite swiftly. So there weren't any long delays. Um, feedback was circulated well. And I felt like they were on my side. You know, they wanted me to win. They um, were preparing me for the different interviews, giving me the right context. So I felt like I was in good hands. And this was your first experience with a headhunter? I would think so, yeah. Now oh, thinking nice. about it, I think it was. I'm really, really happy that your first experience was a positive one. Unfortunately, a lot of people's first experience with headhunters are super negative and just turn them off oh, yeah. and they just get burned. But would you, now moving forward, if you're hypothetically at a job again, you've you've experienced, I think nothing beats like a referral, but aside mm-hmm. from referrals, like would you be happy to work with headhunters again in the future? Like it sounds oh, like you had a good definitely. Experience. Even in my job now, right? So um, a lot of my colleagues, so to speak, um other hr freelancers are usually more in the recruiting space so i've got to uh, cherish these types of um you know headhunters freelance recruiters a lot um they do a great job and ultimately are what keeps the economy running at the speed as it that it is right um and also my job now you know um freelancing projects are usually um or sometimes um communicated through, through agencies so it's definitely a good model that serves both sides and someone else uh, you know can make a living off it even better well, i appreciate the kind words to the recruiting community marie why did you leave billy and then what was the catalyst to you starting to like work for yourself and how did you feel at that point like were you scared were you nervous or did you actually plan oh. ahead i guess i always thought that maybe one day i'd do my own thing but i thought it was going to be way in the future um when i was at billy i really enjoyed the role uh, i got to build um hr from scratch and um uh, i think leave it in a really good place so we got a lot of stuff done in the year and three months that i was there I then got approached um, by another scale up in Berlin, as you do, right? You always get approached for different roles Mm -hmm. and um, it sounded interesting, but I wasn't necessarily interested in going for another permanent employment. And I kind of just kind of teased the idea of, hey, if I was to um, be a freelancer or a consultant, this is something that you'd be interested in doing as a project. Mm -hmm. And uh, surprisingly, they were interested. So I thought, okay, um, I kind of played with the idea and kind of ideated and had like a little bit of a vision of maybe I'll do HR in a freelance basis at some point. And now all of a sudden there was this concrete feedback that was positive and everything had kind of seemed impossible before now seemed like a potential opportunity. So I made the tough, tough decision of, you know, talking to my boss and like, hey, this opportunity has come up and I uh, got his full support and was lucky enough to, um, yeah make the switch over. But yes, definitely scared like every freelancer is when they first starting out a self-employed person. So that's why I also think it's important when you are in that position, people are asking for advice, give the advice. It was one of the best things that helped me get things off the ground, talking to other freelancers, even if they weren't working in my field, to just get an understanding because it's hard to imagine what your life and you know even financials and stuff could look like. Um, so reach out there, get the feedback, have people help you. And uh, yeah. Wow. I, I, I did. <laughs> so from Billy to you freelancing, there was no significant time gap from my understanding. Is that right? No, it was a direct like handover, which was quite a bit of a challenge, um, mm-hmm. but it was fun. And then I didn't have a break for a really long time. And mm-hmm. especially at the beginning, maybe it was similar for you when you're first starting out, you want to give it your all. So you kind of run the, the risk of burning out a little bit here and there, but it was so much fun. I don't regret it at all. Wow. And I think this is key for people who ultimately want to work for themselves. There are a lot of ways you can work for yourself. Either you can just Mm -hmm. cold turkey it, stop everything, you know, save a lot of savings and then just go for it. Or you can dip your feet in. And I think freelancing, hourly contracting on the side is the perfect way to kind of have a little exposure, uh, to get that taste. And then, you know, if you 
have a good experience, then perhaps it'll give you more confidence to kind of really continue doing that. What you had to do for this company was crystal clear, right? Like you knew how you could help or how you could provide value. And then in turn, like, did they pay you like hourly? Is that, is that kind of how it worked? Yeah, pretty much. So my kind of role, usually there's an hourly rate uh, that uh, you fix or it's a daily rate. And ultimately you break it down by the hour. Um, mm. You can also charge by project. I would kind of say that's a little bit risky unless you're exactly sure what the different uh, parameters are uh, mm-hmm. that are going to influence the timeline and scope of your project because right. you might just kind of charge too little and it takes way longer and you're still stuck on that package price. So hourly rate is definitely what you go on. And yes, I did know what the scope was. You kind of try to have a clear idea of what you're going to do, what is asked of you, but you also want to be transparent what you're capable of doing so both sides feel comfortable. And in this case, because this was originally a permanent role they were looking to fill, that they then converted to me coming in as a freelancer. Um, that's another great trick, actually, to try to find projects. Look at positions that are advertised. Most companies are struggling to find the right profiles. If you are it, then why wouldn't they have you start the next day rather than waiting for someone's notice period to be over? At least that's the case in Germany or Europe. We have the, at least from a freelancer perspective, the advantage of there being long notice periods. So sometimes people have to stay within company for another three months before they're able to leave. So someone like a freelancer is able to start tomorrow is obviously a great advantage so they can get work um, going uh, immediately. Yeah, super smart. What did you exactly do for your first client, just high level? Like, what, what did you help sure. them? Sure. Um, yeah, so it was one of those uh, e-scooter companies. And uh, can I say the name? I'm not sure. If you want. If you're comfortable. And the emphasis on my on my website, so I think oh. it's fine, right? I'm just not sure about your, your podcast. So it was Tier Mobility, which is one of those e-scooter companies. So this is a business of like high growth, hyper growth, actually. So they were hiring people like crazy, and I'm sure they still are. Uh, they're pretty successful. And it was about setting up the people operations department, um, which is a skill maybe in the billionaire market you find people in, but maybe not necessarily a super senior level. I'm not saying that I was um, the most senior level that's ever to, has ever worked in people operations, but I helped them set up people operations in a structured way, starting from what tools, basic processes they needed, as well as how you manage the international outlook that they were setting up. Interesting. So you had such a good experience there. And then at what point did you like, decide, oh, I want to do this full time and I want to try to get more clients. Yeah, so this was actually immediately because this was already fully full time. So I wasn't working at Billy anymore. I was doing that full time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of uh, swim or sink. And funnily enough, and this keeps happening to many freelancers or self-employed people, at least um, in my network, once you start and people kind of hear about you doing this role, a lot of stuff happens by word of mouth and the advantage in the billionaire startup industry is also small enough for people to know each other, but large enough for there to be enough opportunities to go around and enough growth. Um, so just naturally, people started reaching out to me and quickly, uh, pretty quickly after that, I got um, my second gig. I think that was at i2x, which is an AI um, startup also based in Berlin, smaller, and I was hired as an interim head of HR. So then kind of like balancing these two projects at the same time. Wow. And was it a little bit of the same thing, like creating, optimizing a people ops? Um, yeah, pretty much. Division. So they are kind of a little bit different, right? So as interim head of HR, what you're essentially doing is taking the full responsibility for the HR department. So they had um, two to three um, employees in that department um, at that time. So I was managing people. I was, you know, delegating tasks. I was helping not just, you know, fix things and set things up structured in um, in a way that they should, um, but really drawing from my experience at Billy, where I was, you know, heading up HR and um, guiding them through whatever ups and downs they were experiencing until they found a permanent hire and then making sure there's a proper handover and actually, you know, helping hire that person that's supposed to come in and replace you permanently. Interesting. So you do uh, consulting services, kind of like, you know, what's going wrong, what you need help with, but also you kind of come in and sometimes you act as like de facto head of HR, head of people, and yeah. you have maybe a company email address and you, right? And then you kind of help so manage everything. Another one, so there's three in total. As you said, there's the interim positions that you take over either as a head of HR or you become like a fully, you know, uh, um, integrated HR business partner. I've done these types of things as well. Or as you say, project-based. So there might be a couple of days a week that you're working on a particular project to help them set up performance reviews. How do you do uh, job leveling, compensation framework, benefit strategy, whatever. Or the last one, which I also like to offer is more an ad hoc advisory um, service where you know you kind of 
uh, get contacted ad hoc if they have questions with, with regards to a particular topic. The advantage of that particular model, and I can recommend that to anyone financing out there, is that often people are looking for the expertise, but they do have the resources to implement uh, whatever needs to be implemented internally themselves. So when I don't have the capacity to actually do those projects myself, I do those like hourly um, advisory uh, spins uh, where they still get to ask questions and get all the expertise and they can get on with it themselves. Wow. So you offer a lot of different services to companies. Are, are there any of those that you prefer? So I have to admit, interim head of HR is not my favorite, like most people, <laughs> to be honest, right? Because it's quite a lot. It's not to say that I don't like the role or I don't like, you know, managing teams and interacting on a more, you know, closer basis. But you are really ingrained in a company, right? So you're back mm-hmm. to internal politics. You're back to daily stuff that comes up that's maybe not that important. So your scope really widens. You're way more um, tied into all sorts of meetings that they have internally, whether it's that you should attend the all hands, you have uh, daily stand-ups, all of that. So just in terms of the complexity, the load, the, the, the energy that it takes, intern roles are more intense. I personally prefer more project work. I would say that's also where my strengths lie. And of course, you know, giving advice here and there is also quite fun because, you know, ultimately a couple of hours is a little bit of money on top, but it's really mm-hmm. fun to be able to help people. Yeah. Being in acting or being truly integrated in a company can be all consuming. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the, it happens actually quite a lot, either, you know, current clients would ask me like, Hey, like, can you just join our team and be like the head of recruiting or just, you know, mm-hmm. lead the recruiting initiative. And early on, I was in my career, that was a lot more attractive than it is now. Like now we work yeah. with a lot of different clients simultaneously. And I know now from experience, like that sucks so much of your time. And if you do that, then you can't continue to provide like the same value to all your other clients who depend on you as well. Right. And yeah. kind of like you, I prefer like working with a lot of different clients at the same time where it makes the most sense is again, either like high level advisory strategic. Uh, I do that with the founders on the side, but that takes yeah. up a lot of time, but not as much time as like, you know, you're the head of HR in a company yeah, with all that right. drama and all that stuff that follows, right? The so drama, right? <laughs> the drama, the drama is real in a workforce um, or in a workplace. So how do you market yourself? Uh, how do you get mm-hmm. the word out? It seems like, again, I mean, I think that all the best things you could do in terms of like, how you got into Google and how you got into smaller companies. And even now, like how you were able to very plainly, I can say it plainly, like very smooth transition to working for yourself, um, which would be a goal for a lot of people. And then when you're working for yourself, how do you get more business? And again, I think the Mm -hmm. easiest way is to leverage your network. And I think for those that are listening, uh, you clearly spent enough time uh, throughout your career uh, taking your network seriously, cultivating, building really strong relationships. And a lot of that comes mm-hmm. from just doing really, really good work, compounding over time. It might sound easy for you just to go, you know, I can reach out to my network, but a lot of that was able to just simply materialize from the great work that you've done throughout all the jobs prior. Yeah, you're probably right. And I would say, yes, that your network and community is definitely what, what keeps this business alive. And I think the good attitude you have is to constantly remind yourself you're a service provider mm-hmm. you're there in service of other people you're there to help that is my role if i'm not helping there's no marie hr consulting because why would there be um so yes definitely the, the the connections you collect throughout your career um and then just generally being helpful you know so for example just reaching out to people there's different hsr communities um at least in the berliner or germany uh, european space browsing those Slack channels, people are always asking questions, um, replying to them, you know, seeing how he can be helpful. That definitely helped me um, get things off the ground in, in the very beginning and also help me secure some of the most lucrative projects I've had in my career uh, thus far, you know, because um, you might be able to, uh, to help with a particular question and it turns out, oh, actually, this is a larger issue or project that they're, that they're looking to tackle. And then, you know, it's an easy and hey, I got some uh, capacity at the moment. I've done this type of job before, you know, if they have the budget and you can uh, find an agreement on that, then, you know, there's nothing in the way of getting that going. Similar to, you know, you're seeing open positions, being helpful to, you know, saying, hey, I could tackle this um, problem for you now or even just being helpful in general, even if it doesn't serve you immediately, like reposting open positions that others contacted you for that they were looking, actually looking for a permanent hire for, reposting it on a LinkedIn network. People remember the small, nice things to do. And that's the main thing I think I'm benefiting from at this point. It's also what keeps it fun, right? I'm not sure about Mm -hmm. you, but 
I love coming back from vacation kind of feeling like, oh, there's a community waiting for me. There's something I can bring to the world, uh, you know, if, even if it's just small. And usually you get it back many folds. Yeah, I love it. I think uh, I can totally relate. For my career so far, some of the biggest clients that we were able to just um, work with was by just helping them without any expectations yeah. or anything short term. And I think mm-hmm. from just putting that goodwill out there and giving value and helping, that just grows and that can snowball and that can uh, become and turn into maybe an amazing referral or someone just remembers mm-hmm. you like, I felt amazing when I worked with Marie or she helped me with this small thing. And then it turns into something awesome. What is a, what does a day-to-day look like for you? Like running um, consulting, what do you do? So because my office is in my apartment, the, the way to work isn't far. And that actually changed also with Corona. So before that I was always on site, but actually this way around works way better i would say also for the clients because mostly i do project work so i don't really have to be on site necessarily all the time so i get up in the morning uh the standard you know shower work out eat whatever um and i get to my computer i usually already have a plan of what i'm going to do for that day so i already know the night before what i'll be working i've got my calendar organized i know roughly when i'll eat i know where my breaks are i know what i need to get done by the end of the day and usually also for the rest of the week so that kind of helps get a lot of the clutter and the stress out of my brain so i've gotten even better at self-management by being self-employed and then i get working there might be days that are blocked for you know dedicated for meetings so i understand you as a you're working in recruiting i'm sure your meetings way more than i am um with a lot of the work that i do a lot of it is research so kind of quiet work uh, that's what i like to call it so i try to also lump my meetings maybe on certain days so on other days i don't have any meetings so i can just do quiet work and get a lot of uh, project work done um, so yeah, and then I'll, I'll do my day. I try to, uh, have a late lunch. So I, uh, don't get too tired early in the day. I have a break. Um, I finish work and then afterwards I'm usually pretty knackered. Maybe I go for, for a walk, but I kind of reserve the full relaxing for the weekend. And How so do you, you, do it? You, you try to shut off on the weekend. Is that right? Oh yeah. Well, I try, but actually good point. I love to work on Sundays. So any tip for anyone out there, it's a, it's a luxury you get with being self-employed that you can kind of do what you want. Uh, whereas in um, regular, well, not completely, right? So let's preface that. But in regular employment, you can't really work on a Sunday, I would suppose, or at least you can't really swap that for a Monday. I love working on Sunday because no one is online. No one is sending you any requests. The world is quiet because everyone else is out there having fun. And I can just kind of get my work, my, my week prepared. So usually on Sunday, latest in the afternoon, evening, I do at least a little bit of work. And I just kind of like to be ahead of my game and the deadlines. So that's what I like to do. Yeah, the weekend mornings are like the perfect time where it's like yes. quiet and peaceful, where if you want to do something in the week, or you just need to get to it. That's the perfect time. Or you want to get ahead for the next mm-hmm. week. It's the perfect time. Just a couple hours can make a huge difference. A couple hours every weekend for home month that's like another 10 20 hours um that you added to 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 your work um and to your goals and so i can totally relate um you're working from home like so what is the future for you and your consulting like how do you have a team or is it just mainly you right now yeah good point so i do actually have a couple of positions advertised um, i haven't hired anyone for them yet you might so need a recruiter to help you marie <laughs> um, so the ones i currently have advertised like an hr consultant someone to support me or someone to do like content marketing for me that kind of stuff um but so oh. far i'm doing everything by myself and i kind of um i'm still looking a way to to scale my business um in recruiting it's pretty obvious right because it's a bit of a um, a scaling game, right? You you add to it, it's managing volume, it's working on processes. The type of work I do usually, and I've kind of tried to figure out how I can outsource some of it. Obviously, I've got an accountant doing those things for me, but most of the actual HR work that I do is research, is working on my expertise, is kind of almost faster if I do it all myself. So, so far, I haven't really found the most effective way of hiring people for my team for the type of work that I do. Maybe, you know, maybe you have ideas for me of how I can actually uh, switch that around. Um, but I also don't mind it, to be honest. I love working um, uh, on my own and having that full autonomy and freedom and, um, you know, not having the responsibility of, you know, um, having to manage someone else. And I would definitely think it's fun, but the interactions I have with the clients that I have and being able to mentor people there and have those interactions there kind of works for me, too. Yeah, Uh you put it in a great way. I think, you know, when you work for yourself, I think uh, 
a lot of people strive to one day have a team, a big team. Um, it's very easy to kind of get into that mindset, especially in tech where things like funding and hundreds of people scaling to thousands of people um, right. are widely captured and talked about, right? It's just, uh, it's what makes the tech industry sexy and exciting. But I think on the flip side and what people should talk about more is, frankly, I think if I found a business that had like 10 people that was optimized, that was productive, that was producing really strong revenue, I think that's mm-hmm. equally or should be more impressive than a 50-person team that's not run well, right? And so, sure. but going a step further, I think there's nothing wrong. I think if you work for a that can mean so many things for so many people. For some, it means maybe they want to be on a path to somehow hire people properly and scale out a team, 5, 10, 20 plus. For others, it might mean I'm okay just being like a solo, what they call like a, a freelancer or a solopreneur and lifestyle yep. is good. And you know, you have a great work-life balance and clients love you. Business is great. And that's all you need. And so I think it really comes down to like, what, like what's important to you? What do you want? Like, are you really, really happy? Um, I think for me, uh, what really kind of gets me excited is like, what's my next challenge? I think mm-hmm. I'm the type of person where if I just do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, like yeah. I'll, I'll just kind of go crazy. And sure. I, I've been working for myself for almost about eight years now, but a majority of those eight years are me just mainly working for myself. Like I had a great mm-hmm. life, gave me the flexibility to travel like yourself, working with great clients. But now I'm like, wow, I've been doing this long enough. Like I can continue doing this for the next 50 years or like what's my next challenge or growth. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what kind of keeps it like, interesting i don't know if it's the same with you but um yeah so like for me i'm now thinking about more seriously things like how do i scale how do i create better processes and systems or how do i diversify right and so um a lot of that can make it seem a lot more overwhelming on top of daily tasks but you know i like to kind of see the positives and it just makes me more exciting for me and yeah. on the whole uh, about myself yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally, and it's interesting to hear that because I don't have these conversations with other freelancers or you know self-employed people all too often. But yes, I feel exactly the same way. So what I've done from the beginning of being self-employed, every year before the year starts, similar with my private life actually, there's a few, I guess not necessarily goals or anything, but just things that are important to me that I want to keep in mind when living my next year in a particular role or position, whatever that is, right? Um, so for me, I've decided that I want to work on projects with companies I'm excited about, you know, beyond uh, great names to add to your portfolio or great money to be earned. Um, ultimately, I think what I'm building is kind of more qualitative rather than quantitative. It's, um, you know, enjoying the type of work that you do. Because I think sometimes you get stuck in, oh, when I'll hit, I don't know, that particular revenue number, when I'll I'll have worked with that particular company, um, then I'll be satisfied. Or once I've hit, you know, 10 people in my team or whatever that might be. And you might forget that what you're doing is actually what you're doing right now. So I've tried to focus really on the substance of what I do, enjoying working with the people that I work with. So being selective in the companies that I work with as well. And that's really paid off. So I've I've never been as happy and satisfied as I have been in my professional life uh, as I have now. And that's a lot of, you know, things for you to figure out and takes time. Um, and you won't know all these things when you first start out, but it's definitely worth investing in and really, you know, searching yourself a little bit for what matters to you and trying. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. I think, uh, working for yourself is a privilege. It should not be taken for granted. And um, if you find yourself in that situation, you just have to constantly find ways to grow and challenge yourself. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, you found yourself in just an an awesome situation where your great personality of giving and helping and just want to give the best uh, to the people that you work with, the companies that you work with, just gave you a scenario where it gives you options. I think that's the best, the most exciting thing that you have options. You have uh, the opportunity to make the decision on how you want to grow. And I think that is sure. an absolute luxury that we should definitely not take for granted. I know we're almost up for time, but we'd love to hear just a couple more things if, if that's okay. So for someone sure. in HR, in people, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on remote work? Do you think companies can successfully recruit, hire, cultivate, maintain a really robust, like healthy culture with a fulfilled and satisfied workforce completely remote? Do you think Mm -hmm. that's only possible to do it only in the office? Do you think a hybrid is the best of both worlds? Or do you think remote is just a big thing of fluff that, you know, it's, it's trendy right now in 2022 and everyone should go back to the office? 
interesting question and i'm sure you have an even more um informed opinion on that than i do right because you're right at the at the heart of all of that and you see what people want and you know why they might take a particular offer and not when it comes to, to that kind of setup i find it almost difficult to imagine what things were like before corona right and i think obviously it's one of the saddest things we've seen happen to the world in the past you know, a few years, but it's interesting to see how so much change and positive change and um, I guess innovation in that area took place for people. Um, obviously, many companies are moving back to being fully on site. Um, for me personally, working remotely is amazing. It's improved my quality of life immensely. I see it with my friends um, and, and colleagues and people I get to work with uh, as well. I would probably say having a bit of everything probably works best. There will be some people who, you know, um, prefer being in the office or at least having the freedom of being able to choose um, will probably be the best combination. But yes, there are challenges for companies. I personally, in my experience of working remotely, have not noticed any drop in quality. Actually, quite the opposite. I feel like I'm way more effective working at home. I noticed you know, a couple of times when you go when you are going to offices, how you know longer things take. And it's a bit of a challenge for me to get used to that again. But what's your experience been like? What do people say in interviews? Is it kind of the, the main and new way to go? Yeah. So flexible remote working is easily a top three, top two, top one for a lot mm -hmm. of people, especially in our industry. Mm -hmm. I think I think it also depends on what you do for work. I think if you have uh, the type of work where you can do, like you said, like a lot more like quiet work, or like, you know, heads down, where you can just you know what to do, like yeah. engineering. I think remote is perfect. I think um, for other fields that historically required people to people interaction. So for, for me, like recruiting or like sales, mm -hmm. a lot of people are trying to figure out, is it possible to actually create scale, manage a successful sales team completely remote. Because a lot of the things, a lot of the trainings that sales teams or companies do to create a top sales team, a lot of them are in person. Like, yeah. you know, I need to hear how you're doing on those calls. Or I need, it's just a lot more, um, like they just feed off each other's energy. So without that mm -hmm. completely remote, is it possible? So I think that's like a really, really interesting conversation um, that I'm trying my best to kind of keep in tabs with. I think uh, for recruiting, especially if you're a recruiter on the internal, it's completely possible, 100%, to have a successful career fulfilling one, 100% remote. I think recruiting on the agency side, and this is kind of what I alluded to speaking with earlier about sales, agency recruiting is more sales heavy. Um, mm -hmm. So for a lot of agency owners that I know that are looking to scale, uh, it's just an ongoing debate. So it's very, very black and white, surprisingly. Some people are like, there's no way you can do this fully remote. And others yeah. are like, it's a possibility, but we haven't found an answer yet. Uh, for myself, I love remote, 100%. Like you, like I'm working from my apartment right here. Um, yeah. Have a... I do not miss the commute living in New York City from my apartment in Queens, taking that subway 40 minutes all the way into New York, sitting yeah. there like nobody's happy. Nobody wants to be there and doing that every day. And like at that time, like that, that was the accepted way to live in New York or any big city, right? Commuting to that the was. office. Um, but now I just cannot imagine going back to that. At all. And also, I don't know about you, but I'm sick way less frequently now back in the day, just being in an open uh, plan office with so many people. And I guess I don't have the greatest immune system out there, but I would catch every single cold, whether it's on public transport or in the office. Jesus. So I'm just glad for that aspect that I don't have to deal with that anymore, at least not to the extent I did back in the day. Yes. For for health, it's been amazing. Like you, I, I hate getting sick too. And <laughs> in, in tech, we're all about we, you know, we uh being innovative workspaces and creating open workspaces. But the mm -hmm. downside of that is it's the worst environment to get sick in, right? Because if someone has one thing, the whole company just gets hit. Uh, they do. With, with something. Don't even just finding the right temperature for the room, you know, what AC, uh, what level is the AC supposed to be on? So I'm sitting like with almost with a blanket on once yeah. everyone else is sweating. So yeah. Yeah, no, it's funny. But like, you know, the whole remote thing, it's interesting. Typically in tech, people look at the companies like Google 
Facebook, mm-hmm. Apple, like whatever they're doing, it's going to have a trickle down effect to the rest of the industry. And so mm-hmm. um, the fact that it's right now, particularly at the time of the shooting is a very interesting time because a lot of the big techs have stopped hiring or recruiting. A lot of them are even rescinding offers, which is something that you rarely see in volume. I guess the first time I'm ever seeing it happen in volume in my career. Uh, yeah. But also a bunch of them have a lot of different uh, opinions on remote and flexible. And because of that, you know, there could be, there's a deluge of a lot of talent leaving big tech uh, in, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to remote to, to companies that are offering more remote friendly environments. And I think with tech, uh, the beauty of our industry is you will always find companies that can offer what you're looking for, right? Not all companies in, yeah. the, uh, in the office, not all companies remote, there's a huge scale when it comes to remote flexibility. And then when it comes to just finding jobs, it's particularly interesting, Marie, because big tech's not hiring and big, big tech is notorious for just scooping up talent and, mm. and offering like, you know, offers as, as you were able to share that a lot of smaller companies can't compete with. But with that not happening, smaller companies that can hire are encouraging a lot of them to put their best foot forward, be proactive. Because like, mm-hmm. when else in technology as a founder are you hiring for a talent pool and not competing against the Googles of the world? So it's certainly like sure. a really, really unique uh, tailwind for a lot of small companies that they can kind of take advantage of. But yeah, yeah good point, actually. A lot, a lot of things going on. Um, but Marie, I just want to... Uh, ended this call asking you one more thing. Um, you know, you've personally had a very fascinating career. And I think one thing that we forgot to mention is I believe you you even interned um, at jobs or types of different types of roles outside of people ops before Google, right? I think either consulting, maybe banking even. It's I did. Just, wasn't for me. <laughs> wasn't for you. And I did that too. And, and so it's funny how you went from that, which even to this day, most people who go to business school, most people who go to university and study business or economics, they usually go to finance, mm-hmm. the investment do. banking track or the consulting track, right? But you were able to kind of navigate away from that into tech. You found people ops at a lot of different types of companies. So I think a fitting way to end this call would be just to ask you, like, from your experience working at big tech, smaller companies, and now yourself, what what were the things about those experiences that you loved? And what were the things about the experiences that really challenged or you didn't like? So working in a company, any type of company, there's the whole environment, obviously, that you get, right? So at Google, it's the whole environment of, you know, great learning experience, the scope that you are exposed to. And that's actually something that told me in onboarding as well, you know, really be aware of everything that you're going to learn just by having access to it, being able to see it or, you know, look into the different departments and really um, take advantage of the, the the scale and the the the, the size of the, the operation that you're part of. And uh, also be critical, of course. Um, in smaller companies, again, you know, I think the main uh, learning or one of the main learning learnings was that in smaller companies might have even more opportunity to go into a wider scope of things. So look outside of your own, uh, you know, limited job description, maybe try out different projects, try to help different teams, always look into um, what departments maybe you're collaborating with or working on and whether there's things you can learn from that because all of that will serve you well in the future. And then now working for myself, honestly, is my favorite setup. Um, And there I really got to appreciate the power of community and connection and that's something I really get to leverage now which working in a company you can but it's always a little bit limited even talking to other companies even if it's just out of interest and expertise you have to be a little bit careful so it doesn't look like you're just looking to find another job by you know fishing in a different pond that kind of thing with my setup now I feel completely free to you know just go full on and all of that and really immerse myself in, you know, the HR community and the tech community, whether it's local or global, that uh, I like to be a part of. So there's a lot of, you know, freedom and creativity you can apply that you wouldn't necessarily be able to apply maybe when you're employed, because there's obviously expectations you have to meet uh, that aren't necessarily defined by you. Yes. And for those that are looking to work for themselves or possibly work for themselves in an entrepreneurial capacity or freelance capacity mm-hmm. in the people HR, is there any advice, any tips that you learned right uh, so far throughout your career that you can share? Sure. Um, so definitely, I would say because it's a bit of a leap that can be a little bit scary, right? Um, try to talk to people who've done it before. Uh, that's what helped me most to at least get a better idea of what the type of work could look like, how you position yourself. Is there enough work around? How do you get leads? How do you price it? And that's another aspect of the type of job that I really enjoy that I'm able to give back also to other people and like they have 
uh, given to me, you know, with that advice that otherwise it would be uh, hard to find. And um, I think it's maybe a few skills that you would need to bring to the table, you know, some sort of like um, accountability, being somewhat organized, but uh, a good friend of mine, another um, consultant freelancer, told me that's uh, the, the freelancer triangle. I'm not sure you've heard of this before. So there's three aspects of your job as a freelancer that you can take, and you technically only need two out of three to be good at your, at your job. So it's to be good at your job, to be on time, and to be friendly. So you could technically, according to this rule, even just be on time and friendly not to go to your job. And trust me, there are freelancers like that out there, and they are still earning a living. Because people do appreciate, you know, people being reliable and nice to interact with. Ideally, you know, try to aim for all three. Uh, but even, for example, if you're not friendly every day or not always on time, uh, hitting two out of those three usually does the trick. Well, I think this conversation has been an absolute blast. I hope you definitely enjoyed it. And I've certainly I've certainly learned a lot, Marie, and, and you truly have navigated uh, your career um, in such a way where you were able to experience a lot of different things that different types of companies can offer. And then you really made that transition from big tech to small company to yourself. And you made it honestly look really, really easy. So I think for, for anyone that's listening right now, who's, you know, looking for a new job, uh, looking to kind of work for yourself, you know, definitely listen to some of the insightful nuggets that Marie was able to share. If people wanted to reach out to you, um, I know that you said that you, you might be hiring for HR consultant, even a content marketing manager, if people who are listening have any questions in the HR people space, if maybe uh, founders or hiring managers that are listening and need someone like you, where can they find you? Sure. So you can always find me on my LinkedIn profile. It's Mary Victor. You can also find my website, MaryVictorHR.com. You can also email me at Marie at MaryVictorHR.com. And if you can't find me, reach out to press me. You can direct you towards me. <laughs> <laughs> I will promise I will help you as much as I can. But I would say of all the things that I've learned today, Marie, I would say biggest takeaway, if someone wants to follow your footsteps and find success that you are, is just be friendly, do a good job, and try your best to be on time. Often that's enough. You'd be surprised. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much again. Don't want to take up too much time today, Marie, but um, I wish nothing but the best. Wish tremendous success for you in a consulting practice. It'd be really exciting to see what you guys do throughout the year, how you decide to scale and what that scaling um, looks like. And we'll do my best, whatever I can to keep in touch. And if there's any way I can help, uh, please reach out to me. And of course, I will utilize my network and try to see if uh, we can find you some good folks too. Thanks. And uh, same here, of course, let me know, you know, uh, how, how can help out. And, you know, you always have me as a, as a direct uh, contact. So don't hesitate. And thank you so much for the invite. It was so much fun talking to you. It's also great to see how your career has developed um, from, you know, our early beginnings sitting in a lecture room at the LC in London to uh, everything you have accomplished now. It's really fun to see someone, you know, um, realize their full potential and doing such a great job and being so involved with everything around it, social media, content marketing, so you're real role model example. So for anyone out there looking to be inspired, Dr. Preston, he's been doing a really good job and I'm looking forward to seeing what you have in, in store for the future. Means a lot, Marie. Thanks again. All right. And we'll see you soon. Chat soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe for other great stories that are coming up. If you need any help with hiring, know of anyone who's looking for a job, or would like to be a guest on this podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at www.kickstartfinder.com. Really, really appreciate it, and we'll see you on the next one.